Welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the show where I do improvised horror stories. I'll be pulling a, a few titles from a hat. Story titles that I've never seen before. And then I'll be improvising the stories from there. like to submit story titles yourself you can email them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com it's felt like a long day today so decaf coffee give me strength but i know that's not how decaf coffee works anyway let's begin okay This first story is called The Squirrels. As a kid, I uh, got dragged to a lot of antique shops and whatnot. My parents were super into going on road trips and uh, American Dream patented family vacations. We saw the Grand Canyon. saw the big salt lake in Salt Lake City. We've even been to Lake Erie once, uh, one of the Great Lakes. And then I asked, uh, oh, how come we don't see the other lakes? And then my father curtly said, uh, one is enough. He would always say, if you've seen one great lake, you've seen them all. I don't know how true that is. I don't live in Michigan or Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, or any other states that may border uh, the Great Lakes. But on that trip uh, to see Lake Erie, driving back, and we found ourselves in western Pennsylvania, a 
way back, we saw a uh, 9-11 memorial of one of the four flights that were hijacked and then crash-landed in Pennsylvania because there was an uprising from the from the flyers of that plane, the passengers. And, you know, when we go on these road trips, you know, like I said, we see antique, antique shops. And, you know, I'm... Even today, I'm fond of old things, you know. Usually antique shops and that area they have like old uh, pitchforks and farm supplies an old barrel and I'd be all like oh, guys this just kind of looks like junk though you know and then my parents would be all like yeah but it's really old though could you imagine using a pitchfork like this living in a time where it was necessary to Harvest your potatoes and all that. And I was just like, well, there are still potatoes around. And then my mom would say, yeah, but it was a lot harder to handle potatoes uh, back in the day. When my, when my mom always said back in the day, I never, I never knew what day she was talking about. Could have been her day. Could have been yesterday. I don't know. Family vacations with my parents always seem like riddles in that way. Not just the fact that they knew something they weren't telling me, but it seemed like their pursuits on this, these road trips, weren't quite uh, delivered to me. wanted to see as much of the countryside as they could, you know. And they would, they would always tell me, oh, it's just, uh, you know, it's just family time, you know, it's very important. And I was just like, yeah, but I just want to, you know, play Game Boy and all that jazz, you know. When I was a kid, I liked the simple things. And those things were, uh, Pokemon, uh, Mario Kart. They were the only two games I owned, but I played them a lot, I assure you. So on this road trip, uh, back from Lake Erie, Having a, we were at a diner uh, that was located in two trailers, uh, both converted to be one unit uh, to be a diner. It was very decorative. Had a lot of pictures of family and people around town. You can tell it was erected a while ago and treated with a lot of care. Based on all the uh, insignia and memorabilia that was on the walls and ceiling, you can tell that a lot of people passed through.
even one picture of a of an elderly uh, Frank Sinatra who just looked mildly uncomfortable, but uh, still greeting the owner of the restaurant. With like a pointy 70s collar and all that. And Frank Sinatra's signature was even a sign on this photograph of a 70s version of him. hard to date when that picture was taken. But it was framed uh, in the diner. So while we're eating, my mom's striking conversation with the waitress. chatting about random shit and uh, the waitress was just like oh where are y'all from and the mom was my mom was just like oh we're from Philadelphia and then the waitress was just like ugh I hate Philly and then my dad was just like well why don't you like Philly and the waitress was just like oh, I've only been there once and it was smelly when she went to deliver our order we were just like well it's not that smelly I don't know we all thought Philly was pretty cool the three of us lived there our whole lives up to that point or at least I did as a child so we eat our meals I got a like a Reuben sandwich or half of one I couldn't finish the other half because I had a I had a little child belly you know it was hard to digest So when the waitress returned, uh, my dad was just like, hey, is there anywhere around here where uh, we can find some cool shit? And the waitress was just like, oh, uh, what kind of cool shit? And my dad was just like, you know, some really cool shit. We want to see it all. And the waitress was just like, oh, you want to see it all, don't you? She said, all right, just uh, down the road, on the outskirts of town, there's a little antique shop. You might find some cool shit there. And my dad was just like, oh, well, all right then. So we leave the diner. And Luckily, the place where she said it was, uh, was just on the way to Philadelphia. And lo and behold, we found the little antique shop. Now, it looked like a townhouse. Uh, what was peculiar about it was just only in, like, the middle of nowhere, kind of. You'd usually expect, like, maybe, like, a farmhouse, or even, like, a Victorian house, or a cottage or something to be on those rural outskirts, but... It was a peculiar building, to say the least. So we go in, and, uh, to my child eyes, it 
looks like any other antique shop I've ever been to. Had a lot of uh, taxidermy stuff. Old farm supplies. You name it. And I could hear my mom say, oh wow, they have some really cool shit here. And my dad was just like, hell yeah, this is awesome. It's like, this is cool and all, but they don't have any Game Boy games. And my mom turned to me and was just like, well, Game Boy games aren't old yet. Trust me, when you're an adult, you're gonna be all like, shit, Game Boy games are like antiques now. And I was just like, mom, that'll never happen. Game Boy is forever. Still, I tried to summon as much, much interest as I could. I was kind of interested in the taxidermy stuff. You know, it was mostly rodents, uh, some possums, raccoons. dad was eyeballing uh, all the pelts that they had. They had a goat pelt and a zebra pelt, and he was just like, whoa, how much is a zebra pelt? And then the uh, owner of the shop uh, named the price, and my dad was just like, uh, oh, never mind then. saw a deer pelt and it's just like oh well this deer pelt's really cool and then my mom was just like where are we gonna put that it's grotesque it's morbid and my dad was just like but babe it's just you know it's just like the nature of uh, life the circle of life you know things die and then gets for a purpose to another things you know you're into recycling right and my, my mom was just like, yeah, but recycling's a little different than, uh, you know, harvesting a corpse as a decoration. And then my dad was just like, how so? You're just kind of repurposing the body for other shit. Isn't that what recycling is? And my mom was just like, fuck, I guess so. Even still, I think it's really creepy, and I don't want to be looking at that pellet every day. dad was just like, well, what if I put it in, like, the basement rec room? How about that? I put it on the floor, maybe near, like, the bar area, you know? Just somewhere out of the way. And then my mom was just like, well, I guess that'll be fine. I know I'll get used to it over time, because I'm gonna see it when I do laundry anyway, so, you know, I'm cool with you getting it. 
I want you to explore your freedoms of uh, material materialism and whatnot, but I don't want that thing like in the living room or in our bedroom or anything. And then my dad was just like, yeah, well, I just, you know, I just think it would be hardcore to have like a large animal pelt, you know? was just like, oh yeah, you'll feel like a like a big man if you have it. And my dad was just like, yeah, I'd feel like a really big man. And then my mom was just like, oh, a big man, yeah. And my dad was just like, yeah, a really big man. As I reflect on this experience, I uh, realized the flirtatious undertones of a lot of their interactions when we went on these trips. And it made me realize that uh, it probably wasn't just about family time. But even still, you know, the antique shop was intriguing to me, but, you know, all my childhood wonder was just focused on Game Boys and stuff. I didn't really have a reference for all this rich or even not rich history. So we're checking out, and it seemed like the, uh, the owner was just kind of like a, an old farmer, and his, uh, his wife owned it as well, but she was out of town for the week. So he was ringing us up, and he's just like, ah, oh, you got some good loot here. And my dad was just like, oh, we got the best loot ever. the older man was just like, you know, I didn't think anyone would go for this deer pelt, so I'll tell you what, if you want, I can throw in, like, this little squirrel pelt if you want. And then my mom was just like, oh, I, don't, I don't even want a squirrel pelt. My dad was just like, but we already got a deer pelt, you know? And my mom was just like, yeah, but I don't even, like, like squirrels. Like, I think deer are cool, but still, squirrels freak me out, and I don't like them. My dad was just like, well, if you don't like them, wouldn't you want their carcass uh, to decorate our house to show your dislike of them? And my mom, my mom was just like, that's twisted logic. I just don't want to be around squirrels, period, you know? And then my dad was just like, but babe, it's free. And then my mom was just like, well, if it's free, I suppose we can take it. Meanwhile, there would be any repercussions in taking something free. So we're in the car driving back. And then when my dad's driving, he digs into the bag of antique stuff that they got. And then tossed me the squirrel pelt, and he was just like, here you go, sport. And I was just like, what, what the fuck is this? I didn't say what the fuck is this, but I was just like, what the heck is this, or whatever curse word substitutes I knew at the time. My dad was just like, it's a squirrel pelt, you know. H have fun. And I was just like, but dad, I don't want a squirrel pelt. It's smelly and weird. And he was just like, oh, it's a gift, you know, just a little souvenir from all of our trips together, you know. You want to rem remember Lake Erie, don't you? And I was just like, I, I already forgot about it. 
my dad was, was like, just take the squirrel pelt. You can just put it on your floor or the your nightstand or whatever. Just here you go. Enjoy. It was free. So about a couple months passed since that trip. And I spent a lot of those days, a lot of that summer really, doing what I'd always did, uh, just playing a shitload of Game Boy. I had Pokemon, and I was training up my Articuno Hardcore. Squirrel Pelt was just like on my uh, dresser for, you know, since we got it, I just kind of flopped it there and didn't think much of it. And then one day I was looking at it, and this was before I was old enough to have, you know, the real agency to rearrange things in my room and whatnot, before I just let my parents do it. So it felt like a coming-of-age moment when I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to throw this whole thing away. So I go outside to the street and throw it in our uh, little uh, recycle can, and I don't think, anything, don't think anything of it from there. But that night I was playing Game Boy, you know. fall asleep playing it as I often did. My parents didn't like when I did that, but I was fucking about it. But then I woke up and I couldn't see. And I just thought, what the hell is going on? jerk myself awake, I realized that the squirrel pelt was on my face. And I thought, huh, that's, that's weird. I thought I threw this thing away. So I get up in the middle of the night, just chuck it out my window, and I don't think any, anything of it. And I just think, oh, I'll take care of it tomorrow morning, or... Unless some rando wants, wants it, I don't know. So I fall asleep and the same thing happens. The squirrel hide just wakes up on my face. Face down, fur face up. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? I chuck it off and throw it in the middle of the room stare at it for a bit. I don't know what to do about this, uh, squirrel pelt. I decided to just leave it there. 
thought the next night I'll stay up and watch it. It could have been my Nintendo-driven imagination getting the best of me, but... I had the inkling that it was moving on its own. This mysterious squirrel pelt from... Midwestern Pennsylvania. sit up staring at the squirrel, I just think, you know, this squirrel could be like a hundred years old, hundreds of years old. My dad was telling me that pelts last a while. I wonder what the squirrel was like, what his personality was, what his family was. romantic idea about how the squirrel spent his time, how he'd go after acorns and cherries, the world being his oyster, grabbing life by the balls, all that jazz, having loving family, loving friends. I didn't want to admit to myself that it could just be a, a dumb squirrel with a dumb squirrel pelt. I spent the next couple nights staying up watching the squirrel pelt. Still laying down on my carpet. And then one Saturday morning I'm having breakfast with my family. And then my mom says, oh, you look like you haven't gotten any sleep at all. And I was just like, uh, yeah, no, I've been, I've been sleeping, I've been sleeping. But the truth was, was that I haven't. I've just been staring at that fucking squirrel pelt all night. And my dad was just like, that's it, I'm gonna take away your Game Boy. And I was just like, what? And he was just like, you've been on that Game Boy for just fucking too long. Staring at that little screen is just keeping you awake night after night. And I'm going to take it away from you so you can have some time to just like, you know, to rest like a normal kid or whatever. And I was just like, but Game Boy? And he was just like, no, I'm taking it. So he goes up to my room and uh, rifles through my things and... Takes my Game Boy, and even takes some of my ga my favorite Game Boy games. So I wouldn't be able to play it on a friend's uh, Game Boy. But what he didn't know, that games are saved on specific Game Boys, so it wouldn't even matter too much anyway, unless I was playing something like Tetris. And he picked out my favorite games too, you know. Picked out Pokemon, uh, a little reissue of a Mario game. Tetris, uh, and a couple other ones. Donkey Kong game. And I was 
was like, no, my Game Boy. And he was just like, I'm taking it. Just fucking spend some time outside. I'll give it back to you in a week or whatever. I'm not being unreasonable. I just don't want you to rot your brain on just a little tiny screen. And then to my surprise and dismay, I see the squirrel pelt move, nudge a little bit. Only slightly. So it's like, but Dad, I haven't been staying up playing Game Boy. Game Boy. I've been staying up watching this little squirrel pelt. And he's just like the squirrel pelt. It's a weird lie. And I was just like, no, it's not a lie. It's just, it's, it's fucking weird. I don't like it. It's creepy. It's just like a creepy piece of hair and skin. I was like, well, how do you think people kept warm, like, uh, back in the day? And that phrase again, back in the day, and I was just like, I don't know what back in the day is. I don't know, I'm a child, I don't know how far days go back. But anyway, I see the squirrel, the squirrel pelt move, and then it nudged some more. My father bent down to inspect it. squirrel pelt launches up and clings itself to my dad's face, fur face up. I hear him scream. Even to this day, it's the most hard scream I've ever heard in my life. He's freaking out. He's thrashing around the room, knocking all my shit over. Everything falls to the ground. He tips my dresser. Me and my mom watch. We don't know what to do. It seems like he's trying to cling to something and then push something away at the same time. His movements are fra frantic and disturbing. And his screams are muffled. become less distinct. They become less like human screams and more just like a shrill, high sound. It's really hard to describe even today. He rushes out of the room and falls down the stairs. We look down and I can see that one of his legs are bent the other way in a way it's not meant to be bent. But he lied still and motionless. We both rush down the stairs. to like shake him and just like hey what are you doing come on she doesn't know what else to say besides that but I'm just staring at all staring at the squirrel pelt flung to my father's face so I grab the pelt by the fur and I take it off and then I see the flesh and muscle and my father's face was gone. 
I would say it's been ripped off, but more likely it could have been devoured. His eyeballs are half devoured. His skin is gone. There's only slight muzzle re residue on the bone of his skull and jaw. Even pieces of his f pieces of his bone in his skull are worn down. His cheekbones are worn down. His eye sockets are brittle. I can even see a piece of his brain exposed. Months after my father's funeral, years actually, there's always, there's always been an unspoken pandemonium in our household. Me and my mother loved each other, sure, but there was always an always a tension between us ever since uh, my father's face was devoured. We both knew it was a squirrel pelt, but we didn't know how. tried to throw it away many times. We've thrown the trash in various dumpsters. We've put it in a dumpster in one town and then moved to another city. We've burned it, cremated it. done many conceivable things on how to get rid of it or destroy it, but the squirrel pelt would always come back. And then one day my mother just said, let's just leave it as is, you know. My mother died when I was, uh, when I was 22. And I was heartbroken, uh, when I was at her funeral. But it didn't match the, uh, absurdity of what took my father. Sometimes I try to get rid of that squirrel pelt just for kicks. If I'd move somewhere, I'll just leave it in the, my old space or apartment or whatever. But I'd always see it again the next day. Ultimately, I think I'm safe from it. Because my father was the one who first had it. He was the one who took it from that antique shop. An antique shop that I've tried to visit since, but I haven't been able to found it. No matter how hard I've tried or searched, or looked up and down that region in Pennsylvania. So like I said, I still have that uh, little squirrel pelt. I keep it in a drawer so I don't have to deal with it. I thought about locking that drawer, but 
I worry if that's too antagonistic to awaken the squirrel, however that happened. For that, I still don't understand. But I definitely don't spend my days staring at, staring at it. Instead, when I try to sleep, I usually just, uh, pull out my smartphone and then just spend my nights staring at a little screen. Hmm, this decaf coffee's not bad. Okay. This next story's called Philosophy of Mud. When I was a kid, I'd play in mud all the time. When I'd go outside when it rained, I'd uh, just run around the grass, and if there was a little muddy puddle, I'd jump in it and splash around. I would even do that until I was like 10 years old. Something about, uh, just interacting with the earth felt right to me. When I go to the beach, I would uh, always play in the sand. I'd, at first, I would just like build sand castles and whatnot, build mermaid bodies on my family. also spend time just uh, digging holes. Not for any uh, real purpose behind them. I'll just grab a hef hefty seashell and then dig a hole. Uh, often go about, uh, let's say, four feet deep. kid, I would even try to, like, uh, build a little cave in my backyard. I would get a big shovel, and I would, uh, have a big hit, have a big, uh, pit, and, uh, try to get a couple of two-by-fours to have a reinforcement when I tried to build a tunnel. And it was very promising at first. But then, 
at a certain point, the shallow tunnel collapsed and it ruined the whole yard. And my aunt came out and she was just like, Kyle, why the fuck did you, you know, build that tunnel and fuck it up? And I was like, I'm sorry, Aunt Fritz. who took care of me when my parents died when I was young. And then when I was of age, uh, I traveled the United States, uh, the countryside, and a bit of the world, little parts of Europe, uh, England and parts of France. Eventually I joined an uh, agricultural, agriculture collective. tell stories about, uh, you know, drifting around and, uh, trying to go, trying to grow our own food and whatnot, uh, swap survival tips and farming tips and whatnot. And I've done other stuff too, I've had about three, uh, half-developed careers, but what ended up happening, uh, I found myself earning a plot of land in Ohio. It was about an acre, and, and I was, uh, like, ah, oh, I could do with this land as I want. And that was, uh, at the age of 45, that was when I decided to take my lifetime of, uh, interacting with the earth and gathering farming know-how to do it for myself. Took a lot of work at first, uh, Got the names of some experts from some uh, old collective friends about how to grow certain things in certain climates, you know, how they interact with other food and whatnot. Grew cabbage, kale, carrots, tomatoes, potatoes. went on, uh, by the time I hit 50, I had, like, a modest little farm going. I was able to sell it on market, and at that point, I was able to make a living off it. And I was just like, huh, this Ohio life isn't that bad.
Eventually, I would have, like, little parties at my house. My little farmhouse. Mainly people in town, you know, keeping it simple. We'd have, like, a town fair that would happen, and I'd always offer my house to host. So if anyone wanted to pop in and out to other parties, they certainly could. People just wanted to chill out after a concert or something, they could... I'm gonna hang out my place for a bit, you know. Sometimes we'd roast a pig and all that. And it was good for a while. I thought that I had everything that I needed. Until one day, uh, wake up and uh, visit the yard and it's all gone. The entire little farm that I developed all vanished. There was a heavy rainstorm uh, the day before, but I didn't know what happened. Did someone come and set things on fire? Uh, did someone uh, harvest all the food? No, it couldn't have happened in one night. And I just thought, what the fuck? What, what, what could have happened? So I went out and inspected the yard a little bit. Tried to figure it out. I do some digging, uh, literally. Just grab my shovel and dig around, see, see if I could find remnants of uh, all the crops that I had. Digging around, sifting through the soil. I did find one leaf. It was a leaf from a tomato plant, and it was buried underground. Not in a way that would grow, it just seemed like someone buried it and then covered it up very smoothly. So I did some more digging, and I was able to find some of my crops, uh, some of the cabbage and kale. They all seem to have sunk into the dirt, and I didn't know what it meant. freaking out, so uh, what I do is I sent, I sent an email to a farm friend in town. I try to be more poised about it, but just like, hey, my crops are all gone, I don't know what to do about it, I could use some help figuring this out. And then my friend Dave comes over, and we investigate together. 
just kind of walks around, so he's just like, so it's all, so it all vanished? And I was just like, um, that's what it seems like, you know? It seems like it, like, sunk into the dirt somehow, but I don't know, it doesn't quite make any sense to me. And then Dave was just like, oh, that makes sense to me. And I was just like, what do you mean it makes sense to you? And he said, well, don't you know anything about this property? And I was just like, no, I don't. And he was just like, well, you know. Some people say it's cursed. I don't know. I don't quite know how. Probably predates uh, the indigenous being on this land, but... Yeah, why did you think the land was so cheap? The rumors go that it would just... Everything that grows here, that resides here, would just sink into the mud. And I said, I heard about something like that happening before. An old collective member used to tell me about it. It was only rumors he had heard, but, uh... But yeah, do you re that how could that be happening here? And Dave said, I don't know, but, uh... It's not like you have nothing... You have anything to lose to, uh, leave this cursed land, right? And I said, well, I always told myself if what I built was destroyed, I would rebuild it. And he said, well, you can try, but just know that there are people that many people failed uh, before you. So that next season, I tried to do the same thing as uh, I did again, starting all of my crops Starting with my crops over from scratch. Picked out some different ones, and some of the same ones. Really tried to mimic uh, the procedure that I did before. It's like if you're writing a novel and it's completely destroyed, and then you try to rewrite the whole thing word for word, if not slightly better. That's what I tried to do with this farm. It's harder to tend to the farm as I get older. Uh, I was up in my 50s at this point. Still something I love to do, but it was hard to predict how much longer I could do it for. So a couple years go by and it, uh, I grow my farm back to uh, its former glory. And I think, okay, this is good, this is good. So there's one night I'm in my house, uh, just quietly reading a, uh, a collection set of, uh, illustrated novels by Lynn Ward.
being mesmerized by the woodcut etchings. And then a long rainstorm uh, starts outside. It's loud and powerful and feels like a monsoon. And I think to myself, huh, must be climate change doing its work. Maybe I should start looking into growing coffee beans. If it's gonna get tropical, might as well get be ready for it. So the rain goes on, and I listen to it. I always love the sounds of rain. Ever since I was a kid, you know, when I'd go out and play in the mud. of the rain that would go along with it. But I hear more than just rain. I start to hear more of a schlopping sound. And then I think, oh no, don't tell me it's happening again. So I rush out of my house and go into the backyard and the farm area. see it. All the crops sinking into the ground. All the grass sinking with it. Even the fences that I erected are sinking as well. Uh, my shed and all the other tools I had laying around. Old construction progress old construction projects that I never got around to, all sinking and disappearing before my very eyes. I start to freak out, I start to go livid, I just shout, no, no, no. I try to grab, grab crops and try to pull them out, but I only uh, rip them apart by doing, by doing so. try to use both my hands and arms to grab the shed and go in a squatting position and try to pull it out, but it's slippery and it goes past my grasp. I can feel my ankles uh, slipping in the mud too. to feel like quicksand, almost. More like the mud by a creek or a swamp. I look at my old farmhouse and I see that slowly sinking as well. Appearing a bit lopsided too. I get manic, I don't know what to do. I start to just panic and I try to just like run off the property. But I can, can't run fast enough. And I only sink deeper into the mud. And then I have a sudden remembrance. From all the memories of my childhood, first acquainting myself with the earth. Now that started with a 
grand rainstorms and the mud I would play in when they would go down. I was living that same transcendental experience as I watch everything I know sink. So I can't help but laugh. I just start to manically laugh and I start to yank out pieces of mud and just start throwing it around and playing at it. Really enjoying the mud. And I just think this is the best mud that I've ever been in or played in ever. I roll around the mud and amazed by the profundity of the experience. laugh at the prospect of everything I know going away. So as everything sinks around me, I sink along with it. This final story is called, Wasabi is the Cure. Freddy and the boys love sushi. They went to the same sushi place every week. Usually on Friday nights, uh, right before they'd go on their uh, nighttime uh, nightlife adventures, which was mainly just going to like some shitty club and getting too drunk to, you know. They're just fucking club dudes partying. That's the gist of who they were. But one thing about Fred is that he saw the profundity in partying hardcore. It's a perfect opportunity to lose himself. To be who he truly was, even if he was a drunk mess who didn't know how to cope with his emotions or rationalize problems to be able to solve them. To his credit, he had a good taste in sushi. It took years of living in town before he was able to find this specific sushi restaurant. bring friends over every Friday to, you know, gobble up some sushi and whatnot.
usually be his friends, uh, Steve and Earl, they'd always be, like, the main guys he'd bring. And whoever else they decided to bring, or who Fred decided to bring. But they certainly saw themselves as the three amigos, or three musketeers, or what have you. On this uh, particular night, they only had one other person with them. And uh, Earl brought someone named uh, Donnie. Now, Donnie and Fred uh, met a couple of times. They didn't quite seem to hit it off, but uh, Earl and Donnie were really hanging out a lot those uh, previous few weeks. CDs for each other and all that. And at that table at the sushi place, uh, it was clear that uh, Earl and Donnie were already having a friendship rapport, making jokes that only those two know knew. And Steve spent some time with Donnie, so he was uh, he also knew some of the bits as well. Had some inside jokes of his own. But Freddy seemed like he was out of the fun. And he was just like, no, this can't be right. Every Saturday I like to go to the sushi place with my close bros and have my palate fucking dance, you know? And then do real dancing and even if we don't, even if I don't reunite with my bros by the end of the night, we still had this uh, solidifying sushi experience to cap it off with, to top it off with, to start with it. And I don't want that good time, this blessing of a good night, to be infringed upon by an off person. Freddy ended up doing is he was just uh, ripping on Donnie, probably more than he should have. Definitely seemed to be under uh, Steve's and Earl's radar for a bit. But Donnie knew it was up. He knew he wasn't really liked by Freddy, or at least felt threatened by him. And he would roll with it, of course, but... He was definitely reaching a plateau of how much he was willing to take. Eventually, uh, they get their sushi platters, their sushi rolls and whatnot. And as they're eating, you know, Freddy's still ripping on Donnie, you know. 
Eventually, this was starting to get on uh, Steve's and Earl's radar. They're both think thinking individually, just like, oh man, Earl's really. I mean, uh, Freddy's really going at it on Donnie. Have at one point, Donnie drops his chopsticks, and he's just like, all right, Freddy, what's your problem? And then Freddy's just like, no problem, man, you know. I just want to know if you can roll with us or not. And Donnie's just like, oh, I can roll. Literally and metaphorically. And then Freddy's just like, all right, all right. Freddy goes to the counter and talks to the cashier and waiter there, and then he heads to the kitchen, and then Freddy returns to the table, and he said, I just uh, did a special order of uh, getting a shitload of wasabi. Let's have a little contest. Whoever can eat the most wasabi wins. Donnie's just like, well, I don't know what that'll prove, but yeah, sure. Alright. And then Freddy's just like, oh, really? That easy? You can handle wasabi? And then Donnie's just like, yeah, man, I just had the whole blob on the plate already. Freddy looked down, and he was just like, oh, shit. The, the group of wasabi's gone. Could he have possibly eaten the whole thing? So the waiter comes back, and then he's just all like, I didn't know how much you wanted, so I just, uh, got this bowl for you, you know. If you need more, let us know. It was pretty much just like a single-serve ice cream serving. But it would have appeared. And then Freddy's just like, alright, let's go. trust uh, Earl and Steve to monitor the amount of wasabi that they both eat. Just that they're having fairly equal amounts. And they go glob by glob. Donnie's more of just like, he sees it as just like, oh, it's like a test of self-endurance. I'm down for it. But Freddy's making dead eyes at Donnie the whole time. faces and skin starts to blush. Their noses clear up. Their eyes water. Freddy seems really upset, but Donnie seems like he's still being composed, though he's not going unchallenged. Eventually they finished the whole bowl. And then Donnie said, huh, that wasn't too bad. And Freddy just fumes and goes back to the waiter. And then he comes back and he's just like, I just ordered some more. I just ordered twice as much. And Donnie's just like, alright, that sounds good to me. So the waiter brings back two times as many as much wasabi seemed like a very daunting amount. 
probably do the same thing, go by glob by glob, competing for each other to see who can withstand the most wasabi. They're both definitely challenged, uh, both have different motivations to keep going. And then miraculously, they finish all that wasabi, which at this point is like a meal's worth of wasabi. Donnie's taking deep breaths, you know. But Freddy's like visibly shaking. And then Freddy's just like, had enough, Donnie. And then Donnie's just like, yeah, man, I'm beat. I might not even drink tonight. I just really just, uh, simmer this down, you know. So then Fred gets up and goes and talks to the waiter by the counter and then Earl and Steve can see the waiter's expression just kind of like a, like confusion uh, anger and disappointment and then he goes back into the kitchen and then Freddy sits down at the table and he's just like I just ordered more more wasabi three times as much as the first round and then Donnie's just like listen Freddy, if you want me to say it, I think you ate a badass amount of wasabi, you know. You don't have anything more to, pro more to prove. I don't want you to, like, get sick or anything. And then Freddy's just like, oh, you think you, you don't want to eat the wasabi? You're, you're chickening out? And then Donnie's just like, I'm not chickening it out. I'll take any wasabi challenge you'll throw at me. I'm just saying, we don't have to do this. We don't have to take it further than it has to go. And then Freddy's just like, oh, I'm gonna take it all the way, bitch. And then right when he said that, uh, the third bowl of wasabi. Three ice cream scoops worth of wasabi in the center of the plate. At this point, Steve and Earl look pretty nervous. They're just looking at each other, just like, shit, how's this gonna go? they measure glob globs this time is that they use uh, spoons to scoop up the wasabi and they each take, take a bite and they're both obviously suffering at this point Donnie's really panting looks really uncomfortable looks like he's gonna vomit and Freddy's just like, had enough, Donnie, who's also looking like he's going to vomit. And then Donnie's just like, no, I can, I can keep going. Now this, uh, the way he said it was very cool and very collected, considering those circumstances. And this infuriates Freddy beyond belief. So what he does is that he leans forward, takes the whole bowl, and then just pours it all in his mouth. Uses his fingers to shovel it in. And he's just like, yeah, there we go. 
with his mouth so full of wasabi. Earl, Steve, and Donnie are just like staring at him, just being all like, dude, what the fuck did you do? And then Freddy's just like, yeah, I feel great. I feel awake, you know? starting to breathe heavy and uh his eyes start start to water it's just like oh shit it feels like i'm crying that's a lot of wasabi i had but shit that's how you know it's good and then steve says to freddy uh freddy your eyes are bleeding freddy's just like what he wipes his cheek and he sees blood and he's just like oh shit at this point he starts to feel the burn starts to violently scream and he stands up he's trying to wipe his eyes with the, with the blood but his eyes are bulging out of his head as he tries to push them back in he ac accidentally pops them but they only take the form of mush so now he's blind and suffering from the heat of wasabi. He's screaming, knocking over tables and chairs. He's screaming and he feels, it seems like he's choking on something. Push at his stomach, trying to get him to get out whatever he's choking on. So then he, something forcefully comes out of his mouth and lands on the floor, and everyone looks at it, and it's just like it's a lung. Eventually, Freddy gets on all fours and he's. Freaking out, making very violent, dry-heaving noises. And then he vomits out his stomach, with wasabi pussing out. His intestines. At this point, he's vomiting all of his internal organs. But he's still in the all-fours, um formation, being able to vomit all this stuff. This happens for about three minutes. But for Steve, Earl, and Donnie, it felt like an eternity. Eventually, uh, Freddy just falls over, like a rabbit that just climaxed, with all of his organs spread upon the floor. And the little bits of wasabi that he had all spread out, his organs were lathered with it. 
fact, they seemed like they were corroding as well. So Steve, Earl, and Donnie, and the waiter, and the rest of the restaurant staff are all just staring at this guy, uh, Freddy, who had insecurities that he couldn't cope with. And from those insecurities, he thought wasabi was the cure. Well, that was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. And good night.